Welcome inside 254. Let's close the office door and start the conversation. Okay, the talk around the table today is about access and opportunity. And I just want to start by explaining where the impulse for this subject came from. It actually comes from many conversations with my husband, oddly mm-hmm. enough, because I always trying, I'm always trying to tell him that we have an access and opportunity problem in this country where people who are born with more money in, you know, good neighborhoods, have plenty of food, have t- basically opportunities and access are to are her- so many things, right? And all of these, you know, whether you're white, whether you're heterosexual, whether you have money, like there's all these, if you're, if you come into the world and you're in a position in, in your family, even from beginning, and he doesn't like when I bring this up because we, we argue about this because he doesn't think it matters. And I'm trying to convince him that it does. So this is just an interpersonal thing. But we were comparing our high school experiences. Mm-hmm. I grew up in an upper middle, upper middle class white, primarily, I mean, 99% primarily white neighborhood on the outskirts of Pittsburgh. And he grew up in South Philly uh, with a working class family. My parents were, my, my dad was an artist. My, my mom worked for Westinghouse um, as like a sales, like engineer salesperson. The look on his face when I was describing some of the extra clubs and sports teams that we had, I think when I said, when I talked about our equestrian team, the look on his face was, was just, it was stunned. He was like, you had an equestrian t- I was like yeah we had a golf team we had a rifle team we had tennis courts and soccer fields and football fields a stadium we had two pools we had two theaters we had and then I told you that and you're like in the 90s I was like well, no in the 80s and it's so that sounds I, like a country club to me right it's like and I've always I have been aware especially as I've gotten older much more aware of I had access to my parents had the money to I was able to participate in theater, take dance classes, um, go to summer camp, go away to summer camp in the summer for weeks on end. We had God, I aspire to send my kid to summer camp for weeks. <laughs> we had, I mean, Jeez. and I and and, hi, and I and I know, I know that there were there were people even at that time. I was aware, right, in my teenage mind, that not everybody had what I had. But of course, I didn't have the language for it. I didn't understand. And now, my my social network and my friend network and colleague network is so much wider. And I hear about people's experiences it brings it home every time I have a conversation like that how advantaged I was not through anything of my own and you know how hard I work but Mm -hmm. that is like not relevant of course I worked hard but I also started I would say I know you always talk about bases I feel like I didn't just start at third base I feel like I started halfway to home and the umpire was looking the other way like it was almost like I was guaranteed to succeed no matter how crazy I was, no matter how. You would have had to work hard to not to succeed. Right? I would have had to work like, and it's just, it's, but my husband, right? He, he got a college degree. He went to school. He did all that stuff, but he didn't, he, they had like, I think he said they had, you know, baseball and football and that was it like at their high school. And, and he went to a private Catholic school. So even him being, maybe he started on second base. I mean, you know, his parents sent him to a private Catholic 
school like all through even up through high school and college and everything so economically economically about bases right, yeah. economically he started but he's a white man right and heterosexual and I feel like this is important conversation to have because when I talk to him about this, he always pushes back saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I keep thinking, yeah, and I'm sure he, and that's the thing. He's not, he's not stupid. He's a smart guy, but I'm sure he's not the only one. I think there's probably a lot of people out there who think it really doesn't matter. And I think it does matter. And so I wanted to have an episode that talks about the issues of access and opportunity, why it matters and how we can sort of help. We when I say we, I'm thinking of people like me who are in a position that we, I would have had to work hard to fail. How can we work to mitigate those uh, disadvantages, those like positional differences? Mm-hmm. How to describe it? Different I'm like intersections. stumbling through this, but so I don't know. Let's talk about this. <laughs> so when Amanda came to me about this episode, my immediate thought was to have a conversation about intersectionality okay. because it seems to me that this is what Amanda's trying to give voice to right like so she's talking about how there are different elements to her identity and that's what intersectionality is about it's not just i'm a woman i'm a man you know intersectionality is that uh, that our identities intersect at many different points so i always have my students do this in my post-colonial class which is immediately define their subject position because i think it's important to know the ground they're standing on before they start to make claims about anybody else so if I were to define my subject position currently, right? So I'm cisgender, so my gender and sex match. I am heterosexual, I am white, I am a woman, and now I am upper middle class, mm-hmm. but did not grow up that way. So, um, and I think when we do, like, so that's what you're talking about. Like, most of our intersections are the same, but your uh, class mm-hmm. intersection Right, so for he's a white dude, but lower class growing (laughs) up, and you were a white woman, right? So kind of marginal, if we're thinking about privilege and oppression, Mm -hmm. your husband (laughs) is in a privileged position in the sense of gender, but not in a privileged position in the sense of class. Mm -hmm. And that's why an intersectional approach to these conversations is so important, just to give people language for that. So when, when, you know, you can't compare all these things because there's all these different intersections Mm -hmm. of um, opportunity and access. So by virtue of the fact that my partner and your partner are both men, but my partner grew up in a much more economically advantaged situation than I did. Mm -hmm. So even that, you know, even that you can't like compare their experiences and their positions. So it sounds like you can talk about maybe a moment or instances where you felt positionality that being a woman, right, mm-hmm. was you felt that marginalization, even though at other other intersections, um, sexuality wise, class wise, education wise, are there moments where you felt that your position as a woman, you felt that marginality, even though you came from all these other kind of upper echelon yeah. of if you were thinking about a hierarchy. Yeah. So what, yeah, what I would I would those? say the one the one thing I think about um, as far as the you know you know where where did I experience any kind of you know real real struggle in that respect is when I worked for uh, the radio station in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh and I was young 
right? So I was like 19 mm -hmm. and, you know, blonde hair. Because you didn't go to college right away, I, right? I did go to college right away, but I was I was taking night classes. Oh, okay. That's right. So. Um, you were a non-traditional I was student. a non-traditional student. That's what student. I should have said. Yeah. 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 Because my parents refused to let me go full time. <laughs> That's another story. Um, <laughs> we're not going to get into that today. So I was working full time. Mm -hmm. So I was like 19, right? Young. So I had the, the youth going for me. And I'm a woman. So I'm a young woman. I think I was pretty, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, big boobs. I was, I was way less than I do now. So I was, you know, Didn't I was. Didn't we all? Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, and I, I dressed, you know, I dressed professionally for work you know looking looking nice you know wearing the makeup and everything doing my hair and the djs who work there would be very i mean they would quote they would joke mm -hmm. but i had a one dj who would always say i got socks older than you and they would say things like that they would be very sort of dismissive of mm, the work that i was doing the credibility that i had as the continuity director putting ads together and doing the production um, for advertisements for the radio station. It was very dismissive. And, you know, at the time I didn't have the perspective or the language that I have now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure I didn't, I mean, I, I kind of just laughed it off probably because I didn't feel like I, well, was old enough to, <laughs> to say anything back because these people were all older than me. They were also uh, mostly African-American, and I, I just felt uh, like I was just trying to work and having those comments come at me. It was, it was hard. I mean, it was hard, but I did it. So it, it was things like that, and when I got into advertising, I worked in an ad agency. It was a similar thing. Well, it um, sounds like you, were, you became aware yeah. of your difference, yeah. and I think an intersectional approach allows you to do that, and it would it gives you a glimpse into somebody who's maybe at the margins of those intersections when it comes to power. So, you know, you can move through the world pretty unaware of your difference. And then in that moment you felt your difference. Yeah. And I think that's what maybe somebody who's trans or um, who's queer or you know, like somebody who's very aware mm -hmm. of their, of their difference more often. Right. And so you had that experience yeah. because of like, if we think intersectionally, right young woman mm -hmm. in the space of in a male space mm -hmm. suddenly all those other intersections of privilege and power didn't count as much because you were a woman right so that's true and and so we kind of like i always think of it as like shape shifting right we're mm -hmm. moving through all these different spaces and there are certain spaces where your identity gives you you know access to power or privilege and then in other spaces where it doesn't mm -hmm. so we all move right we need to know our subject position and where we stand so as we move from space to space to space we understand who has the power in that moment or where am i where do i fit or where so you know i'm not really super aware of my difference anymore mm -hmm. i was very aware of it growing up because of economics but not because i was a woman not because mm -hmm. of my sexuality so it was more for you it was more economic it was an uh, but right do you but, have a specific example well, you, that every you think minute of? of high school <laughs> really like well just like you know what you just described like i didn't take lessons or you know i like i was in band and everybody else was taking private lessons and like it just always seemed like everybody else was didn't have to work on the weekends or couldn't like they just 
had cars and like magically you just didn't have to think about where that car came from or the car insurance. Not, you know, I didn't grow up poor, right. but I mean, I think we grew up economically anxious. And so economically, I would say I started in like maybe home plate or maybe a little bit in the dugout, but not scraping myself out of the dugout. So, you know, I had to work pretty hard to get around the bases <laughs> um, yeah. economically I can move through the world pretty much not feeling different now. And so I think having had that experience was good for me. And I wonder for my kid what it's like going to, like not having any awareness of that, like almost having to teach her about those things, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think that moment you just described, you were very aware of your difference. And I think that's why Mm -hmm. not to, you know, but we spend a lot of time with white men because we are married to them. And, and I think that's why it feels so offensive when you bring it up because when you, like all of a sudden you're bringing up difference to somebody who's never had to think about difference and it doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't feel good. It's super uncomfortable. I mean, I even remember those moments at the station feeling, and the thing is I wasn't, I wasn't angry. I wasn't angry. You were just aware. I was, I was, I was being made aware of my differences and it made me uncomfortable and it felt it in that moment i and i'm remembering now memory is a funny thing but i can't i feel like i in that moment i felt like i had a lot to learn and honestly i will say even putting myself through grad school eventually after you know working full-time in advertising and then being a journalist and then going back to school you know i i and learn and you know reading and learning about things like um uh, Native American reservations. I'll just use that as yeah. an example. That's a right, great so example, though, right? Like the vast, the vast difference. I mean, to me, in my mind, it's like the Grand Canyon of difference between me and my position, right? And the all the advantaged positions mm-hmm. that I had versus, you know, a young uh, Lakota girl say who's growing up um, on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota which is one of the poorest counties in America it's it's and no not all native peoples live on reservations listen to our myth busting episodes right exactly on we're assuming you already I'm, have that good solid right. foundation so of I'm just saying but they do exist and people do live there and they do not have money they have maybe amazing family and cultural connections and and you know community but there's no money. But the things that have cultural capital and in the United States, they maybe don't have. They maybe don't yeah. have. They're, they know there's homes that don't have running water. There's homes that they don't have, you know, mattresses for beds. There's no, I mean, the 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 level of disadvantage, I think of that, that young girl would be starting not even in the dugout, but like somewhere back behind the parking lot in the right, field right. that's way, way back. And then for her to, to work to even get to the dugout is so much harder and well and it takes generations and and i would say anybody who said i think that there's a willful ignorance when people then say bullshit like well if you both work hard you'll get to the same place well, and that's, that's the what's mythology right? that's the mythology the, in America, the polar right? the, the horatio alger yeah. bullshit that if you and the person mm-hmm. you just described worked equally hard as if you would get to the same place that is being willfully ignorant of positions of subjectivity of how the world works like uh, uh, you know that's why it's i always just, use the dugout reference yeah, like you had like to get her for her to get to first base took so much energy and hard work and you are working hard and she is working hard but, but where you get on the bases is different 
so different. And, and it's, it, it's absolutely heartbreaking that, that we have, and again, this taps into inequality and everything, but the, I'm talking about the material, material, tangible, practical, lived differences, right. right? This is, it is not possible. I mean, okay, it's possible, but you know, for, for that young girl to get it's to not where statistically, I am to... It's not statistically probable. Let's say there that, you go. right? Like it's not statistically probable. Sure. Anything's possible. Right. I'll give you that. But the chances, are, the chances are so slim. And the hurdles, yeah. So I'm not, and I, I don't, I don't have an answer, but this is something I feel like more of us should be talking about and we shouldn't get upset when we talk about it and, and we shouldn't feel personally attacked when someone says, hey, we started with some serious advantages here and maybe we should be a little more aware of that. And then the next question, of course, because I always go to activism is, so what can we do to mitigate that? And that's a big question, I know. <laughs> well, one big, thing I've been trying to do is talk but... about position instead of privilege. I okay. think that I'm trying to deflate the that the word okay. privilege has become so inflated and inflammatory mm-hmm. um, that I think if we think about it as like positionality instead of privilege, and it is privilege. I mean, maybe I'm just sugarcoating the word to try to get the scared animals to come along with me over the threshold. But, no, but if you're you right. talk about it has, positions... It's blown up into right. this like, oh, it's a dirty word. Right. I'm not privileged. And so maybe we need to... Maybe you're right. We need to get away from that we word. We just stand in different places. And yeah. if we stand in different places, we're going to have different experiences. Yeah. There's no... there. Th- that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the other thing that comes along with privilege is the assumption then that the person who was on second base and and runs to home, you know, that person still did work. You hear privilege (laughs) and then it feels like it's devaluing all the hard work you've done. And that's not the intention of the word. So I think it's more like position instead of privilege. And so that's one thing I'm I'm trying, I'm starting to really think about and and I think intersectionality and an intersectional approach has helped me reframe the way I talk and teach about this. Mm -hmm. But I think the best thing people can do is actually really think about their subject position. When we think about um, physical ability, you know, if we think about some basics of identity, physical ability, sexuality, gender, class, race, you know, where, where, if you had to define your positions in all those places, age, yeah, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. age, education, you know, you can really, you can definitely like kind of parse this out into Mm -hmm. many, many things. Mm -hmm. But if you know, you know, if I can say I'm a, I I don't have any physical disabilities, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm cisgender, like if I can say all those things, I'm cishet, white, like there are so many levels of privilege there, but I could also say I am positioned where I can move through the world without my difference being acknowledged constantly so maybe it's just we need to talk about it in different ways. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with talking about privilege and admitting yeah. that I am in a position of privilege now, but that might be that might come from the fact mm-hmm. that I understand at least some element of what it means not to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I don't I I think we we need to do a better job of talking about our intersections and our identities, our own identities, before we start doing ally work or accomplice work or pointing or calling in or calling out, you know, like, we gotta, we gotta know who we are. Yeah, really, really grapple with, like, who we are personally, individually, our own personal histories, our own 
positions, yeah. right? And maybe how those positions have changed and how they not, move and exactly. how they move and shift over time for us personally. And so maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's the good baby step move that we can all take right now. Just really take a moment, you know, get, get a cup of coffee, get a tea, mm-hmm. sit on your porch, sit on your deck, sit on your balcony, sit in your living room <laughs> and really think about your positions and how those have changed over time and just Mm -hmm. being more aware. And then when that conversation comes up, maybe realize it's not about diminishing your accomplishments or who you are. It's just about recognizing that there are people who are not in your position. Right. And maybe we can have a little more care and awareness for those folks so that we don't step on them further. I think that's good and get in the way of them running the bases because I want everybody to be able to run the bases and do that hard work that everybody does. Most people do. (laughs) So I think the intersectional approach might be might be helpful for these conversations. And you don't even have to say those words. It's just but it's just an approach. You know, you don't need to like start lecturing people about intersectionality, (laughs) but just it, it gives you a way to talk about these different facets of identity that might help. Yeah, I like that. Thanks, my friend. Good. That's good. Good conversation. Always. (laughs) I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hey, Inside 254 listeners. Do you know why we started this podcast, Real Talk? To help you process and survive the daily barrage of bad news in the Trump era. Are you worried about the loss of women's rights to our own bodies? Are you angry about the cruelty of the GOP? Are you anxious about the upcoming November midterm elections? Like us, you feel frustrated, angry, sad, maybe even a touch of despair as you imagine the end of our democracy. We are in this fight together with you. Empower yourself by joining our community and feel less alone. So instead of buying us a cup of coffee to thank us for the work that we do, Contribute a dollar a month to our podcast. Inside 254 helps you think clearly about important issues affecting your family, your job, and your community. We need you in this fight. Become a patron today. If you think for one second that the Capitol will ever treat us fairly, you are lying to yourself. Because we know who they are and what they do. This is what they do. And we must fight back! Time for... Trumpster Fire! Amanda? Yes, dear? I am excited to share this video of our fearless leader, our dear leader, talking about courts. So I've sent you, I I want you to listen to this. Here it is. Enjoy this, everybody. All right, let's run this. I, this is, I haven't seen this yet. 
You're a victim of your success in one way. You have so many cases. You have a 700,000 case backload. You uh, have judges that think they have to wait two years to see all their cases. You need more judges. How this close is, is that? Your guy. sister's a judge. She knows right. how tough that's that is. Right. Well, that's Fox Maybe and Friends. Yeah, why not? Enjoy that. Think of it. We're the only country, essentially, that has judges. They want to hire thousands of judges. Yeah. Other country have the other countries have it's called security people people that stand there and say you can't come in. We have thousands of judges and they need thousands of more judges. The whole system is corrupt. It's horrible. So yeah, you need thousands of judges based on this crazy system. Who ever heard of a system where you put people through trials? Where do these judges come from? You know, a judge is a very special person. How do you hire thousands of people to be a judge? So it's ridiculous. We're going to change the system. We have no choice for the good of our country. What are your comments on that, Amanda? What did you just hear? What did you just hear? Are your ears bleeding? What did you just hear? Did he actually just question the entire foundation of this country? Yes. You were away on vacation when this happened. I was... What the fuck? Okay, so how does he not? Uh, I don't want to ask. How does he not know? He, he, uh, how what did, it, what how kind of he, crazy system is it that we put people on, on trial? trial? Oh my god! There's like a whole section in the constitution. I know. I, I don't see. even know what to. And he actually. Oh, he folks! Said that I'm out like, loud. I actually just ran this video on my phone and just just held it up to the microphone. It it, it is. It's bro. What whatever his name is on Fox and Friends, and they did this. Oh my God! So he actually doesn't think that we should have judges. That we and should trials. have judges and trials. Yeah, the dear leader, that we should oh, have security things instead because trial God. by trial by jury, <laughs> which most things don't actually go to trial. But um, yeah, so that is the president of the United States questioning on television okay. the role of the judiciary, okay, the okay. role of the, like one of third of the the branches of government. He is he is calling a waste of time and silliness and pointless so because it's getting in his way. As problematic as our country is, our country is built on Laws. the three <laughs> the three branches: executive, right, legislative. Con- Congress, legislative, and judiciary. judicial. And the the way the founders designed, I can't believe you have to government say this out loud. <laughs> is for these three branches to be a check and balance on each other so that we cannot ever have what Europeans have experienced, which is monarchies and authoritarian, authoritarian, you know, leaders and dictatorships and totalitarianism. So the whole idea was to avoid that possibility by having three branches check each other. Okay. He literally so just first said out of loud, all, the yeah. fast the fact <laughs> that you we were gonna have, love this. the fact that we have a president who doesn't understand that is terrifying, and it really motivates me to vote this November. As if we needed more. Motivation. I don't, but I'm just saying that it is scary to me that this man doesn't know, and he is in the highest office in the land and i would and say he in the world too. in the world yeah. and he doesn't know how our country functions 
on a very basic sophomore level high school understanding. Six year old knows civics, which my six year old knows what judges do. Uh, but I mean maybe she yeah. doesn't understand the branches. And check three and branches balance, but yeah. I mean yeah. this is like sophomore level civics class and he doesn't know that. And so my hope is that the people around him because I, I don't I don't trust that that people who like Trump know this either. I mean, let's be honest. I think there's a lot of um, ignorance in this country about our history, our past, what's actually happened, and actually how we are today. I think there's a lot. So I'm not going to say like the people who follow him know this either. But I know there's a whole lot of people. There's a whole lot of people who do know. And I'm hoping that some of those people, oh God, please, are in his administration and who, and hopefully he, he will not have the power, the authority to eliminate an entire branch of the American government through, I don't know, executive order, through, I, mm. <laughs> I am hoping, I am, I'm falling back on the idea that our government, despite the ignorance of dear leader, is stronger than him. And the foundations upon which our nation is built are stronger than this one idiot who will not be able to dismantle it because he's just one person. And the, the whole structure is stronger than him. That's well, my hope. Well, and I think that <laughs> got lost, right? Like that story got so, so lost. Oh and God. because it's like a quiet story, and if you don't understand the civics, then you don't understand the implications of, of that comment that he made. So I just want to remind you all, dear listeners, that we try, we're trying to like, we try to bring up the things that get lost in, in the midst of the other really loud stuff, but still that's really important to pay attention to. So it's, it's like our, what you always say, it's whack-a-mole. It's fucking whack-a-mole. It's whack-a-mole. It is. It's like the never-ending whack-a-mole game. It's well, and, and, you know, because everything, there's so much else going on in the news and we get distracted we get distracted legitimately by here's this other big thing and here's right. this other big right. thing and here's the and meanwhile meanwhile he's on tv saying that trials are world. yeah oh, saying that trials are a joke are not a good idea yeah oh it just makes me well hurt. this is why he's friends with all these dictators right the guy in the philippines that doesn't have trials he just has people executed if they're even accused of using drugs and duterte right and he said he's a good guy that i think donald trump like actually thinks he should have this kind of authoritarian rule i i agree with you my friend i think he does believe that he should have that but like i said i am i am certainly paying attention i did not see that because i was thankfully in costa rica when it happened but Wise speaking choice. of other countries that are worth visiting um <laughs> but i also i i absolutely do fall back on having faith in our very imperfect union and government we we have i mean and it's messy and i like that it's messy but i i, I really i just i absolutely i don't believe that just because he wants to be a dictator i don't think our system is going to allow him to be i think there's enough people in the system who understand how it works who value how it works and i, I mean I'm where sorry. are those people because i think they're all quitting their jobs oh, where are they well, which person in his administration stood stood up and said, "No, actually, our president does agree with the idea of judiciaries." <laughs> like I didn't hear anybody come out and backpedal on that. I, I I don't I don't know. I just know that there's 
There's a lot of congressional representatives. There's a lot of senators. There's a lot of judges. There's but an entire branch too. of they're the government. They're trying to keep I all know. their shit afloat too. Like I that's know. the problem is I think everybody's just trying to hold on for dear life for their uh, in their own little kingdom, right? Wait, let me and back this up. Yeah, let me let ahead. me back this up and, and be hopeful. He says a lot of shit that doesn't actually come to fruition. I, that is one thing I've noticed in his in his I don't term. Care if this comes to fruition, I, I the fact that he says no, it out loud. but I think it matters. I think it matters that we realize and we understand that a lot of the shit that he says, that he tweets, that he threatens, that he's it never actually comes to fruition. He says a lot of shit that doesn't actually happen. I'm going to categorize this as that and just pay attention to make sure nothing else happens. But I think this is one of those ridiculously stupid things that he just says because it's off the top of his head, off the cuff, because he's obviously an idiot and doesn't know. And I don't think this is going anywhere. I hope you're right. <laughs> I'm looking at I you don't, like... I don't... I, yeah, I don't... I don't... Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, I'm not going to not pay... Now I'm going to be paying attention, but I really... I think this is one of those things we can categorize as what a fucking idiot. Well, that right on Facebook, I was like, what did I just watch? 20, <laughs> I think that's what I wrote. Like, I don't even know how in 2018. Here, and here's, but here's the thing. That's the other part of this. It is 2018. In a few months, we have an election. So we need to flip the house because guess what? The legislative is another check. And if we get more Democrats in the, in the, in the house and the Senate, than they're there now. He won't get another thing done. That's what I mean about the system actually can work in our favor this time. Mm -hmm. We're from the government. We're here to help. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll end with that rosy prediction. <sighs> I'm going to go take an out of van. I'm going to go plant my garden. Yeah. Good. Flowers and veggies. <laughs> yeah. This is the sun needs to come out because this, this guy's wackadoo. He's whack. He's wackadoo creating whack-a-mole. But I, I really, I think, okay, good. Well, I, I really think this is a, this is just another one of those like, are you fucking kidding All me? Right, things. Good. Yeah, I, I hope, do. I, hope I you're do. Right. I believe that. Fingers crossed. Cause there, I hear there is a balm in Gilead. <laughs> I've heard that too. <laughs> we dedicate ourselves to collective resistance. Resistance to the billionaire mortgage profiteers and gentrifiers. Resistance to the healthcare privateers. As I have said, and as I believe, the advancement of the full participation of women and girls in every aspect of their societies is the great unfinished business of the 21st century. And not just for women, but for everyone. And not just in far away countries, but right here in the United States. Thank you for understanding that sometimes we must put our bodies where our beliefs are. Sometimes, Pressing send is not enough. <laughs> if, if we want to give all of our children a foundation for their dreams and opportunities worthy of their promise, if, if we want to give them that sense of limitless possibility, that belief that here in America there is always something better out there if you're willing to work for it, then we must work like never before.
This episode's fierce woman warrior is Kimberly Crenshaw. A law professor at UCLA since 1986, Crenshaw has found ways to be a public intellectual to teach about the term intersectionality, which she coined in the late 80s. She gave those wanting to have conversations about privilege and oppression language to describe identity and the ways our positions vary based on various elements of our identity. She has not rested on her laurels since then. She continues to push the conversation about the intersections of race and gender. Her most recent TED Talk is called The Urgency of Intersectionality. In it, she says, I would go on to learn that African-American women, like other women of color, like other socially marginalized people all over the world, were facing all kinds of dilemmas and challenges as a consequence of intersectionality, intersections of race and gender, of heterosexism, transphobia, xenophobia, ableism, all of these social dynamics come together and create challenges that are sometimes quite unique. But in the same way that intersectionality raised our awareness to the way that black women live their lives, it also exposes the tragic circumstances under which African-American women die. Her current TED Talk shows how African-American women are affected by police violence and how they are often ignored in the movement that focuses on men killed and not the women at the hands of police. She ends her talk saying we have to be willing to bear witness, to bear witness to the often painful realities that we would just rather not confront, the everyday violence and humiliation that many black women have had to face, black women across color, age, gender, expression, sexuality, and ability. She calls for us to say the women's names at the roll call at the end of her talk. Crenshaw's ferocity in the face of oppression inspires me to be a better academic, ally, and human being. If you know a fierce woman warrior who is taking action in her community in some way, please send her name and information to us at inside254podcast at gmail.com or send us a private message through our Facebook page. And we will do the necessary research, reach out to this person, but this is not an interview segment. As you see, this is about amplifying women's advocacy and work in communities. So nominate a Fierce Woman Warrior today. Let's take a time out for a Media Minute. If you're like me, wondering why Americans are so addicted to fantasy and lies masquerading as truth, and why we are so prone to believing the most outrageous things, usually by ignoring facts, I recommend reading Kurt Anderson's 2017 book, Fantasyland, How America Went Haywire, A 500-Year History, to Find Answers. The opening chapters are sober and dense, with methodically laid out history, facts, and historical context, which can be a bit dry, but I understand why Anderson structured the book this way. Such foundational information is necessary, but it can feel heavy while reading it. This is where your trust and faith as a reader is necessary. You must keep reading and trust that the author will start drawing the strings together. And he does. Even among such density lay breathtaking gems of insight. Take this line from chapter one, which is titled, Now Entering Fantasyland. Quote, The American Experiment. 
the original embodiment of the great enlightenment idea of intellectual freedom. Every individual free to believe anything she wishes has metastasized out of control. Or this painfully accurate gem from the end of chapter 7, titled The First Me Century, Religion Gets America. Quote, As we let a hundred dogmatic iterations of reality bloom, the eventual result was an anything-goes relativism that extends beyond religion to almost every kind of passionate belief. If I think it's true, no matter why or how I think it's true, then it's true, and nobody can tell me otherwise. That's the real-life reductio, reductio ad absurdum of American individualism, and it would become a credo of fantasy land. And finally, just to continue whetting your appetite, this highlight-worthy line from Chapter 12, titled Fantastic Business, The Gold Rush Inflection Point, quote, A propensity to dream impossible dreams is like other powerful tendencies, okay when kept in check by common sense, at least in the aggregate and over, and over the long run. For most of its history, America had exactly such a dynamic equilibrium between fantasists and realists, mania and moderation, credulity and skepticism. But as much as we wish for a natural and inevitable balance between those competing forces, like the laws and physics, there's no such mechanism governing civilizations. Societies and cultures can lurch out of balance as ours would eventually do. If you can't tell from the quotes I selected, this book won't make you feel warm and fuzzy, and it won't make the madness we witness on a daily basis now any better, but it will help you understand the underlying reasons why our nation has lost its collective mind. Why even the most sane and reasonable people right now are retweeting and posting falsehoods and radically inaccurate news and claiming them to be the truth. Turns out, we Americans come by this compulsion naturally. It's in our nation's DNA. And Kurt Anderson methodically lays out how and why. So for anyone who wants a thoughtful examination that connects all the various threads together, politicians, religion, academia, the press, advertising, etc., in order to understand how we got to where we are today in how we think and respond to national events and situations that feel so out of control, I recommend reading or listening to this book. Let's end today's podcast with some activist actions. Say her name. Maya Hall, Miriam Carey, Sandra Bland, Tanisha Anderson, Pearly Golden, Tarika Wilson. There are too many to say here, but we need to say their names. Go to aapf.org, the African American Policy Forum website, to learn about the initiatives like hashtag say her name that shine light on the issue of police violence and intersectionality. The catalog of resources there can equip you to do your own learning on the issue or plan a vigil to honor the women whose names should not be forgotten. AAPF.org, African American Policy Forum website. Check it out, and there's lots of ideas for activism right there at your fingertips. Thanks for spending time with us inside 254. You can find us a lot of places online. On Facebook, we're at Inside 254 Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Inside 254 Pod. On Instagram, we are at Inside 254. 
And on WordPress, where we post links and places that you can go to donate or learn more about our activist actions, we're at Inside254Site, S-I-T-E dot WordPress dot com. You can find our free episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and you can also just Google us. There are two things you can do to help us build audience today. You can go onto Facebook, click one of those stars, and leave a comment as feedback, and then you can go to your listening platform and rate us on there as well. By doing those two things, that's going to get our word out and help us build our audience. Thank you for helping us grow.